0: felt bad for jen on the ending there i never practiced with her and then i just kind of it's kind of hard for her to see me from this angle you know if i was like this she'd be like no problem but it's kind of like i'm being secretive or something you know but uh, she does a great job following singers doesn't she we are blessed so blessed with a tremendous piano player and we have so many others that can play well as well and boy that's a blessing Uh, all the different groups and different piano players and the investment that Uh, Jen and others have made in teaching and training the young people around here. We're seeing the fruit of that, and boy, that's exciting. That's exciting. Because, you know, in most churches, you know, obviously it's an issue to find somebody that can play a piano. You know, we are blessed. God has brought people to us and we have seen others growing in their abilities, and that's exciting. And uh, that stuff doesn't happen by chance, and so we appreciate all the effort that's put forth by each and every one of you, and I especially appreciate everything that Jen has done through our music program, and uh, boy, it just makes us all sound better. You know, it really does. She makes us all sound better, and uh, boy, that's, that's appreciated. We appreciate you, Jen. Thank you. Well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles, turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 15, 2 Chronicles chapter 15, we're going to begin a new series tonight. It's going to be called, how to find, excuse me, no, that's wrong, that's the lesson tonight. Secrets of Successful Living. We're going to talk about successful living, how to have a successful life, if you will. Some just, they're not really secrets, but just, uh, I like that S thing, you know, all those S's getting in there. Secrets of Successful Living. And so we're going to go ahead and consider that. We're going to talk tonight about how to find the true God. If you're going to have a successful Christian life, then you have to be able to find the true living God. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to begin in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, and verse 1. We're going to read through verse 6 tonight. 2 Chronicles chapter 15. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you. Why ye be with him, and if ye seek him, he will be found of you, but if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, for a long season, Israel hath been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law, but when they in their trouble, did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out nor to him that came in but great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries and nation was destroyed of nation and city of city for God did vex them with the advers- ad- adversity with, adver- with all adversity excuse me <clears throat> Now <clears throat> in this series that we're going to address and talk about we're going to consider some secrets of successful living and um No one can really live a successful life without knowing the Lord. Again, it's um, amazing how we have somehow convinced ourselves that we can do with a little bit of God or just enough of God. But in reality, we need Him. We need Him as we rise. We need Him as we live. We need Him as we go to sleep at night. We need Him during the evening and at night as well. We need God all the time in our lives. And if we truly want to live a successful Christian life, then we're going to need Him constantly and continually. So how do we find the true God? Well, again, the subject is found in 2 Chronicles 15 here, and we're going to really focus in on verses 3 and 4 when it comes to this issue. But there's only one God and one Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's important that we understand that. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3, the Bible says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. And it goes on, we we realize here that The greatest blessing that any one of us can possibly experience in this life is to truly find him. But if you've never been saved, you've never trusted Christ, you're missing out on the very best that God has for you. You really are. And I know it's a Wednesday night, and I would hope that for you, you're saying, amen. You know, that's right. I appreciate that. And that's what I've experienced in my life. And I'm so happy and so glad that I came to the Lord. I hope that's your spirit and that's your attitude in the midst of it all. But that's not always the case. On the other hand, the greatest tragedy in life is to pass through without ever finding him. Not only is it bad in this life, but it's obviously bad in the next as well. So in our passage, we have a very brief description of one phase of Israel's history. But I believe that that phase of Israel's history describes untold millions others in the world today. And so we're going to take just a few moments and consider Israel. And in doing that, we want to learn how to find the true God. So let's take just a moment and do that. Before we start, let's pray. Father, again, we come to you realizing that finding you is the key to everything. And as believers, we certainly need you. Father, we don't need you on our side. We need to be on your side. So help us, Lord, just to do that which pleases you. And Lord, even now, focus our attention on you and your word. We do love you. We need you. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, anoint every listening ear. Tonight, Lord, may the service be special. May it not just be another Wednesday night. But May we leave here saying, boy, it was good to be in the house of the Lord. We need you. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. In 2 Chronicles 15, 3, the Bible says, Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God. First of all, we notice in the passage, they were without the true God. It's talking about Israel here. Now it's a little confusing in the passage because right off the bat it seems to be dealing with Judah. But then as he's talking about and by the way Judah has had this wonderful wonderful victory. I mean they they've seen a million man army go down in flames because of God's assistance in their 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 lives and in their nation. But then he goes back and he begins to talk about Israel a little bit. And he's trying to, I think, we're seeing a, a sense of warning here. And God's trying to, to keep, be, be very careful with, with Judah. And he's saying, listen, Israel's really messed up. Israel's made some major dis- mistakes. Israel has failed to follow through on their walk in their relationship with me. And I'm telling you, it's cost them. It's been very, very uh, costly in that, in that regard. And so we see here that Israel, because we have a divided kingdom, Remember? We have Judah and Israel now, where once Israel was combined, 12 tribes, now we have the division. And so here we have this Israel. It says, they were without the true God. For a long season, Israel hath been without the true God. And again, a long season. That makes it sound like it's been a while, right? Well, if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 28 through 30, we find out that whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. As Solomon passes on from the scene, his son, Rehoboam, shows up. The only problem is, is that Rehoboam makes some bad mistakes in judgment. He follows the, the men and the, the young men of his day, his his peers, if you will, instead of Listening to the elder men, instead of allowing the experience of those that have lived for so long to influence his life and his decisions, he chooses to follow those who grew up with him. And in doing so, he finds himself in a very precarious position, a very difficult position. Now, God had already prepared another vessel, another man, if you will, to step in and to take over the other ten tribes who would now be called Israel. And That man was named Jeroboam, and we're reading about Jeroboam. And he's talking about King Jeroboam when it says he took counsel and made two calves. He's looking at the people in Israel and he's thinking if they have to go down to Jerusalem and worship and serve the living God, I'm going to lose these people. They're going to ultimately go back under that, the, the, the umbrella of Judah or the umbrella of Rehoboam. I want, I want to maintain and ensure that they stay where they're at, that they don't get mixed up with that mess again. I want to rule them. I don't want Rehoboam having anything to do with them. And I'm going to make sure that they don't have any contact then with him or the people. So he says, you know what? He says, by the way, I made two golden calves. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. That's just way too hard. Worshiping God should be easy, right? Worshiping God should be easy. There should never be any sacrifice in worshiping the Lord. You should never have to put yourself out. You should never have to feel like you have to work at anything or strive. Or Is anybody finding something wrong with that already? Well, this is the the message that, that unfortunately we see in the new ecumenical movement today. That's the message that we see in modern churches today is that we don't want to put anybody out. Everybody has to be comfortable. You shouldn't have to do anything that makes you feel uncomfortable for sure. And so we have Jeroboam now telling the people of God, listen, don't, listen! it's too hard for you. It's way too difficult, too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. I care about you. And because I care so much about you, I've created or made, molded two golden calves. Oh, don't worry about the story back in Exodus, mind you. Don't worry about Aaron and that golden calf. Just put that behind you. That's no big deal. Let's just move on with religion. We're in a new age. We're in a different dispensation. We're in a different time. It's all different now. It'll be all right, folks. I'm trying to spare you the inconvenience of worship that's going to, it's going to cost you way too much if you have to go to Jerusalem. So, so behold thy gods. The gods which brought thee out of Egypt... Now, was that true? Well, it wasn't true, was it? Those golden calves didn't bring them out of Egypt. Who brought them out of Egypt? The living God brought them out of Egypt. And yet, here's Jeroboam selling or pitching this idea somehow and saying, now these are thy gods. See them? Behold. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he he, uh, put he in Dan. He put one at the far end of the, the country, part one down below. And he said, you can go to either one. Whichever one you're closest to, that's the one you can go to. And this thing became a sin. For the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. Again, for some time under the leadership of Jeroboam, Israel had been without God. The truth is, there's not, there was never a good king in Israel. After the split, after Solomon, no good king ruled and reigned in Israel. There were good kings in Judah, but none in Israel. They were, as the Bible puts it here, now for a long season without the true God. So at this point, Israel was godless. Or should I say, less God. They were functioning less God. He wasn't to be found. He wasn't in their life. He wasn't in their their world, if that sense. The real God, the true God. And you know what? This perfectly describes the majority of people in the world, does it not? We'd like to believe because people are good, because they are decent, maybe even moral, then therefore they are okay with God. But the truth is, is that you can be good and be godless. And sadly enough, as believers, we sometimes fall into the trap of believing that somebody is good enough, and that's all that matters. But they must be godly. Godliness is something that we do not receive of ourselves. We can do our best to live godly, but to be godly is an act that God alone does in our life. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 12 that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. He's talking now to the Gentiles, and the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's pointing out to them that there was a point in a time in your life when ye were without Christ. You, you had nothing to do with Israel and, and their prom- the promises that God had had for them, the covenants of promise. You virtually, as, as, as Gentiles, had no hope. Why? Because you were without God in the world. And may I say that somebody that is without God in the world is without hope. They're living without God, and the only time they even think about Him, Is in time of emergency. That's when God's welcome in my life. When things are going bad, when things have turned, the world's turned upside down, when the weight of the world's on my shoulders, now God can come and rescue me. And in many cases, that's how people treat God. And although Israel was godless, they still believed in the existence of God. And they benefited to some degree from His promises. So I want you to think about this and and consider this important note here. We are not told in the passage that they were without a God. Because everyone worships a God of some kind. The problem was they were without the true God. See, the world has their gods. Every one of us are spiritual to a degree because we are created spiritual beings. It is not necessarily that they do not have a God. They just do not have the true God. This brings us to a point that sometimes can seem somewhat um, abrasive. See, whether or not you and I want to admit it or not, whether or not we want to take a stand on this or not, whether or not we want to be viewed as being intolerant and, and, and unloving, the truth is there is still only one true God. See, it is a disservice when someone speaks to you about another God and you refer to them as though that God is equal with yours. See, that is blasphemous. There is only one true God. And it is the God that we serve, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in heaven, creator of all the universe. You say, well, I don't want to offend no one, so I'm not going to tell them I would never do anything to offend them, and so therefore, when they approach me about their God, I'll just be kind to them, and I'll just agree with them. Well, that's fine. You know, you know we all have our own way to get to heaven. We all believe our own way, and every way is just as good as the next, and your way is good, my way is good, everybody's way is good. My friend, that, that's a lie. You're lying to them. Because if you really believe what you say you believe, then you have to lie to say that to them. Now, I don't know about you, but last time I checked, lying is a sin. And so we have to be very careful that we do not agree with a fool in his folly. Because, see, if you say there is no God, and I'm talking about the true God, then you're a fool according to the Bible. The Bible defines that. You say there is no God. Well, wait, how do we define that? So someone has to say there is no God. Well, sports are a God to some people, so therefore they're not a fool. They have a God. Is that what the passage is referring to? No. It's talking about if you say there is no true God. He's the true God. We have been brought up in a generation of tolerance to where everything is okay. We're not allowed to believe something and hold to it unless it's what everyone tells us we're allowed to believe. You can have an opinion as long as it agrees with mine. That's the mentality today. And as believers, we're being told that you don't have a right to believe that sin is sin. You don't have a right to believe there are things that are right and wrong. You don't have a right to believe that there's only one God in heaven. That's ridiculous. So what about all these people that believe in some other God? I don't know. What does God say about that? Again, I'm not talking about going out and creating discord. I'm not talking about trying to create chaos. I'm not even talking about confrontation all the time. We don't have to do that. God's Holy Spirit will do enough of that for us. If we go out with the truth, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, will bring the conviction. And if it requires us taking a stand, then let's take that stand. I think many times, if we're not careful, we could take a stand and do it in the wrong way. So we have to use wisdom there. So these words in verse 3 of the passage, they describe many people. For a long season, they were without the true God. I don't know. Let me just ask you. I'm kind of deviating off the script a little but I wonder tonight. You may be saved, but have you been doing without the true God in your life? Listen, you can fool me, And you can fool others, but like they say, you can't fool God. Are you doing without the true God in your life? Do you find it easy to wake up, not pray, not read your Bible, just go about your day? Do you know what you're basically admitting to then? You don't need the true God. You've been possibly a long time without the true God. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying that you haven't received Christ, but you're not allowing Christ to be real and elevated and preeminent in your life then. How is it that we can do without him but still believe that he's prominent in our life? How is it that you can, you can neglect your wife, never talk to her, never speak to her, never take her out, never do anything with her and then say, she is so important to me. I'm telling you, I love her so much. She's number one in my life. When's the last time you talked to her? Well, we don't really get to do that much, and honestly, I don't really have that much of a desire to do it. I'd rather talk at somebody at work rather than come home and talk to my wife. Truthfully is, I'd rather work overtime than have to go home. But she's so important to me. She's the most important thing in my life. How many of you ladies would think that was a good testimony? You'd appreciate that of your husband. But yet with God, we'll do that. We'll neglect God. We'll totally discard him. We'll walk away from him and say, I love you, Jesus. You're so sweet and wonderful. Jesus' love is sweet and wonderful. We sing those little choruses. And if we're not careful, we're lying the whole time. Can you imagine that? Number two. Number two, they were without a teaching priest. In the passage, it talks about that, and this is important. In 2 Chronicles, again, 15, 3, he goes on to say here, he says, For a long season Israel hath been without the true God and without a teaching priest. Now, a teaching priest was given the duty of teaching the people the truth about God. I mean, it's not complicated a teaching priest, was a man of God, a priest in those days at that time that taught the people about God. Well, who are the teaching priests today then? And someone says, well, it's got to be the preacher. Well, it is, but it's anyone really who teaches or anyone who preaches the truth. I mean, you Sunday school teachers are doing the exact same thing that I do. You're standing before your, your, your class and you are, you are teaching them about God. Boy, I tell you, that's a grave responsibility. I mean, that carries a lot of weight. That's so awfully vital and so important. Every faithful preacher and every teacher of the Word of God is one of God's teaching priests. Sadly, the majority of people lack any exposure to the Word of God, don't they? The truth is, few attend church of any kind. Most have no preacher, no teacher to influence their life for God and good. Most don't read the Bible or any kind of literature, at least anything that would inform them about God's truths and about Him. Matter of fact, let's just ask that question. When's the last time you read something other than the Bible, a book? I'm not talking about you got on the internet and looked up some question you had. And so you just raked all the way through all the opinions of every single dialect and every single denomination in the world. Did you get that little dig there? Did you get it? I hope you got it. You be real careful what you read and who you read after on the Internet. Well, they seem like they're pretty solid preacher. And why? I know they don't use the King James, but you better be double careful if they don't use the King James. Because now they're defining terms based on a book that's not even the Bible. And they're using verses to support positions that don't necessarily even exist. Be careful, is all I'm saying. You better be real careful. But nonetheless, let me ask you again as we we consider this. I mean, when's the last time you read a book outside of the Word of God that actually built you up in the faith? That, that taught you something about the Christian life or that, that introduced you to someone that lived an exemplary life. You spent time reading a biography on a famous Christian man or woman. You spent time reading a book that addressed an issue or topic that was, was and it was off of a book table that was reputable, that you could trust. It was out of the bookstore. It was something that you could really sink your teeth into and you could really dig into. When's the last time you spent time doing that? And let me just ask this, even more specific. When's the last time you guys did that? See, I think some of the ladies will read because they're like, we love reading. The guys are like, I hate reading. I'd rather watch television. That's what guys do, right? Most guys aren't readers. They're not big readers like most women like to read, as a, more, more so, not all women, but more majority of women would read before a guy. At least that's my experience from growing up and my own kids. So, fellas, what about you? What have you done lately to really grow in your Christian life? Have you taken steps to do that? As a result of the fact that the majority of people lack exposure to the Word of God, There is an appalling ignorance of the things of God in our world, aren't there? I mean, it's an appalling ignorance. And the average person knows nothing of God's way of salvation even. I mean, the most basic fundamental truth in the Word of God, how to be saved, most have no clue how that gets done. You go to a door, you knock on it, and you say... Hi, my name is Mark O'Donnell. I'm from Community Baptist Temple just out in the area today because we believe God's concerned about folks because God's concerned about folks, are we? thought we'd stop by today and see if there's anything that we as a church could do to help you and your family today. And they go, well, no, I think we're okay. And you go, wow, I'm glad to hear that. That's awesome. And then you go on to talk to them about maybe this or that. And before it's over with, you're talking to them about their salvation. And you say, listen, before I go, first of all, it's been wonderful talking to you. We've really enjoyed our visit with you. But before we leave, I have a very important question I'd like to ask you. Probably the most important question anyone could ever ask you. If you died today, are you 100% sure where you'd spend eternity? Well, I go to church and I really, uh, I, you know, I... I, I believe I got saved. Yeah. And actually, to be honest with you, I, I don't know, that's kind of a personal question. And I just don't understand why people go around the town, city asking questions like that. Because I think religion is one of those things that, honestly, I think that's between you and God. But I'm saved. You ever had people do that to you? But I'm saved. Oh, I know I'm saved, but I just don't think you should be shoving it down people's throats. You ever had people do that at the door kind of? That mentality? I'm always amazed at that, aren't you? Do you ever wonder when you walk away, I wonder if they're really saved. You ever think that? You shouldn't, right? But don't you think that? I mean, you're like, then they got upset because I asked them whether or not they're going to heaven. But I'm saved, but I don't think. Oh. And and you got to wonder, do they even know what salvation is? See, I believe that very few people really understand salvation i would be honest with you, I don't care what church you're from. You come and ask me, if I know for sure if I'm dying or going to heaven, I'm going to say, praise the Lord. I'm so glad somebody's asking that question. Amen. Amen. Man, it isn't like there isn't room for another church that's out there doing the work. Amen. And boy, I'm sure glad you came to my door because I've never had anybody do that. Amen. Amen. Uh, boy, it's wonderful. Yeah, I know Christ is my Savior. Trust in Him. Yeah, I can tell you when. Sure. Man, let's talk about it. Let's give each other our testimonies. What about you? What happened with a good spirit? See, I don't think people even know what salvation is sometimes and they'll even say they got it. Again, you say, you judge them? No, I'm just telling you. I just don't know. I think that salvation runs a lot deeper than just a smile on your face. I think your attitude reflects salvation many times. I think that spirit beareth witness with my spirit that you're the child of God. I think there ought to be something there. But I'll tell you what, these Israelites were struggling. They didn't have the true God. The Bible tells us now for a long season, Israel has been without the true God and without a teaching priest. They were, they were dwindling. They were falling by the wayside. They didn't even know what salvation was. They were missing out on the very fundamentals and the doctrines of the Word of God. And that was a problem. That was a big problem. We know what salvation is, don't we? Where do we find the answer to what, that question of what is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? How do you get saved? See, if I would ask you that, the majority of you would say, "Well, preacher, let me see. Let me give you. A, let me give you. A, I got this verse for you." And you go, "Man, I know John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life." That's how you'd say it. Maybe not quite that dynamically. Maybe not that quite inspirationally. Maybe not even that quite animated. But you would quote it, wouldn't you? And then you go, you know what? I got another one for you, preacher. John fourteen, six. I mean, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I go, wow, that's good. You say, Well, you know, I got another one for you if you're really getting excited about that one. I got one from Acts. Listen to this one, preacher. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's good. I mean, for whosoever, preacher, hey, now you got me on a roll, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me ask you something. Go to a thousand doors in the city of Akron and ask people, how do you get saved? See how many verses are quoted and see if they even know how to get there. Do you know what the problem is? Anybody know what the problem is? I do. It's found in Second Chronicles 15.3. Now for a long season, they'd been without the true God. And without a what? Teaching priest. You you know what they need? They need you. They need me to take this truth and bring it to them. We need that. How are they going to ever learn? How are they going to ever hear if we don't tell them? They need a teaching priest, if you will. Someone to share and to tell the word of God. Paul the Apostle said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Oh, by the way, John Calvin, let me tell you for just a moment. It's to everyone that believeth. It's not just to the elect. It's not just to the chosen. It's to everyone that believeth. You say, why'd you throw that in? I just felt good about it. That's good stuff. Got all these Baptists running around these days acting like, first of all, there's no repentance. Running around acting like there's, there's no real Israel running around anymore, that we've replaced them. And you got them all running around, running around, trying to tell us today somehow that, that God's kind of the sovereign God that makes the decision who, and, who doesn't go to heaven. Something wrong with that. Something wrong with that. So, right off the bat, how do you find the true God? Man, we're not even getting there yet. We're only two points into five. It's time to quit. Now for a long season, Israel hath been without the true God. Boy, may we never put our, find ourselves in a place where that's true any longer in our lives. And then they were without a teaching priest. No matter what you do in your life, stay in God's house. Surround yourself with the word of God and allow preachers and don't don't settle for a TV guy or a TV gal. Don't do that. Don't settle just listen, somebody on the radio or get on the internet. No, you need your church. Be in God's house put yourself under the authority of a pastor and under teachers that can teach you the word of God and encourage and help you. A teaching priest, do that no matter what. Boy, may God help us as we continue in our study and we learn this aspect. And as we move forward, we'll give you some practical things along the way in our series down the road. But we'll get through this one first. But boy, I tell you what, aren't you glad you're a Christian? It's a wonderful thing to be saved, amen, to know heaven's your home, that God's your Father, that you are settled and secure. What a wonderful thing, to have him living in you. Ah, Boy, if we can really grasp that truth, how it will change our lives. And I think at times we do, we grasp that truth, and it does change our life. But then the world, if we're not careful, kind of just, I don't know, complicates things, doesn't it? And if we're not careful, we get overwhelmed with our circumstances and we lose sight of him. May we not allow that to happen. Stay faithful to God. Enjoy the Lord Jesus. Enjoy him. And boy, you'll never regret that. Well, Father, we come to you. I I pray, Lord, you'd be with us as we...